0: This is Finding Center, a daily half-hour of spiritual focus. Today on Finding Center, the theme is the Savior's Warmth. Douglas R. McKinley, an associate teaching professor of advertising in the BYU Department of Communications when this devotional was given, will give his address entitled, The Approachable Master.
1: I came to BYU, as President Samuelson said, after a career in advertising, and now I'm enjoying my 13th year in a career crescendo. I don't know what that means in the music department, but I've enjoyed every minute of those 13 years so far. The field of sports is a wonderful place to find metaphors and analogies for life, and I would like to begin with one this morning. It's this phrase, leaving it all on the field, which is to say that one gives everything out there on the playing field, or the court, or the stage, holding nothing back. There are times in our lives where this analogy makes particular sense. For example, when serving a mission, you would want to make sure you came home with no regrets, that you left it all in your field of labor. There is something awfully satisfying about giving it 100%, whatever the assignment. But what if your pre-Earth assignment was to come to the playing field of mortality, where there would be the forces of opposition trying to keep you from leaving it all on the field? Such is certainly the case with Earth life. But how do we then give it our all? What can we do to assure that we leave this life with the fewest possible regrets? For the next few minutes, we'll discuss one sure way, and that is to come under the influence of the Master, the one perfect example of someone who indeed left it all on this very playing field. And so I have titled my remarks this morning, The Approachable Master, Life's Critical Relationship. May I begin by putting a series of related questions to all of us. Why is it that we do not befriend with greater intensity our Savior, the master of ocean and earth and skies, at a level that truly affects, perhaps even drives, our own personal behavior? Said another way, why do we not capitalize on the Spirit of Christ within all of us, to more completely comprehend the Master's purpose and the will of the only name under heaven by which we may gain life eternal. And lastly, why do we not accept more openly his simple invitation to come unto me? In much the same way President Ezra Taft Benson approached our tendency as a people to undervalue the positive effects of studying the Book of Mormon, May I be bold enough this morning to suggest that the same condition may well apply for our Savior. There was so much more to gain by developing a truly interactive relationship with the Master. To use his own parable, could it be that we are the travelers on the highway, and that the Master has bid us to his wedding feast? Why would we not come? We can learn the Master even love Him for all He has accomplished on our behalf, and yet still position ourselves beyond our own ability to receive many additional and ennobling blessings. It would be like joining a sports team, but not going to practice, not benefiting from the coach's experience, and never actually taking the field. Listen to the Savior's own injunction in Matthew eleven twenty-eight 28-30. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and learn of me. For I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. And in our day, the clarion call from the brethren is an echo from the corridors of time. Come unto Christ. The reason this call never goes away is that once we are fully engaged with the Master, we become like the followers of King Benjamin. You will recall that after his landmark speech to the people, he sent among them desiring to know if they believed his message and if it had actually made a difference in their lives. Their unified response is an example to all of us. Yea, we believe all the words which thou hast spoken unto us, and also we know of their surety and truth, because of the Spirit of the Lord, Omnipotent, which has wrought a mighty change in us or in our hearts, that we have no more disposition to do evil, but to do good continually. As professed Christians and practicing Latter-day Saints, we embrace the doctrine set forth in the fourth article of faith, The first principle, of course, is faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, something that precedes all else. But sadly, we sometimes become little more than Facebook friends with our Lord and Master, clicking our like button on Sunday and then only visiting his page when we have a special need or when prompted by another Sunday arrival. Exhibiting the symbolic behavior just described, it is possible for us to become our own version of what the Apostle Paul describes in his Discourse on Charity as a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. Perhaps we could change a word or two and make it more interfacing and interrogative. Have I become as a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal? So again, why is it that we move closer to the Savior on occasion and then drift away? And then move closer and then drift away? In an undulating kind of relationship, not unlike the movement of the tides. May I share some possible reasons why we might stray from a member of the Godhead most anxious to befriend us and most ready to receive us, regardless of our present circumstance an obvious place to begin is the sometimes subtle, but nevertheless diabolically decreed role of the devil himself, who is everlastingly committed to distancing us from the influence of the master and will do all in his power to keep us from developing a strong personal bond that would strengthen us and guide us safely through the many vicissitudes of life. And let us remember. The further we are from the influence of the Master, the closer we are to the influence of our most formidable foe. The adversary knows that if he can make us feel alone, even when we aren't, we become much more vulnerable to his very careful, very strategic advances. Here are two of the many strategies he uses to keep us from the Master. Number one, he convinces us that we are unworthy to enter the presence of the Master even through prayer, by using the tactics of guilt, shame, or embarrassment, knowing that we have, quote, all sinned and come short of the glory of God. He reminds us that the Master is perfect and we are not pushing further the distance between us. Number two, he makes us believe that we can do all things on our own and have no need for the Savior's help just as a small child responds to a parental guidance by saying i can do it myself this is commonly known in the lds parlance as the pride cycle not a good place for us to find ourselves as adults some years ago while serving with the missionaries in the arizona tucson mission i created a series of what my bride betty jo Likes to call doctrinal diagrams. This one deals with what I have termed the drift phenomenon. It works like this. Say you receive a new calling in the church, and you are totally overwhelmed. You need the influence of the master in order to execute your calling. He, of course, responds with the appropriate inspiration. But as time goes along, you get more comfortable with the calling and your ability to perform it. What may inadvertently happen is that you begin to drift away from the need for constant inspiration and toward a reliance on your own abilities. Not that you would ever plan on or even notice this happening. It just seems to be a part of what King Benjamin might have called the natural man syndrome, that tendency to drift away from the master and his influence when we are not in personal crisis mode. Once again, we become that proverbial three-year-old saying, or perhaps shouting indignantly, I can't do it myself. We are exactly where the adversary would like us to be, out there and on our own. On the other hand, if we lean not to our own understanding, we're on the arm of flesh, and as we stay close to the Master's influence, it is easy to see a dramatic difference. We might call this slide the non-drift phenomenon or a magnifying your calling phenomenon. Imagine the power as you become increasingly proficient in your calling while enjoying an ever-increasing degree of spiritual influence from the master. To borrow a word from a famous MasterCard advertising campaign, priceless. Suggesting a value difference between things we can buy, the temporal, and things we cannot buy, or the spiritual. And speaking of things temporal, consider the time and energy we spend at this and perhaps other institutions preparing for and advancing our careers. And let us remember that, (coughs) unless I miss my guess, our careers will not rise with us in the resurrection. Certainly, I will be unemployed, since I doubt the existence of or need for TV sets, billboards, YouTube, the Internet, or I-anything on the other side of the veil. I trust even our two surgeon sons may have to look elsewhere for employment. A very long time ago, as an undergraduate student at BYU, I memorized this quote from Harvard philosopher James Allen in which he points out the danger of going it alone. Man is the causer, though nearly always unconsciously, of his own circumstances, and that while aiming at a good end, he is continually frustrating its accomplishment by encouraging thoughts and desires which cannot possibly harmonize with that end. Making critical life decisions without the aid of the Master's direct spiritual influence is like embarking on a long sea voyage in a craft without a rudder, or a hem, or perhaps even a mast. Continuing our list, here are three more strategies the adversary uses that may be keeping us from a broader, deeper, critical relationship with our master. Number three, he creates doubt about our own self-worth and our own God-given abilities. Number four, he gives us a feeling of entitlement. Since, after all, we are children of God, we are all somehow amazingly due a divine inheritance. The entitled attitude says, It's never my fault. Surely the blame for my inability to perform up to expectations must lie with another. And besides, isn't the Savior supposed to be my all-time safety net? Number five. He helps us, not that we need help here, but he helps us develop our powers of procrastination. After all, there is always and forever tomorrow, right? What could possibly be the rush? My guess is that at one time or another we have all felt these negative tuggings or feelings in our lives and have to some extent at least bought in to some of our mortal foibles and frailties with which the adversary is so awfully familiar. May I now share a very personal experience from years ago that may serve to illustrate this point. I had been set apart by two general authorities as stake president during the blessing. Certain, as I viewed them, promises had been mentioned, one of which related to the success of the new business venture I had just undertaken. But things did not go well business-wise. Unbeknown to me, I had started an advertising agency on the cusp of a serious recession. After weeks of unease, early one morning, with many unanswered questions in my heart, a terribly alone and uncertain feeling washed over me like a waterfall of doubt. Although going into business for myself seemed like an inspired decision at the time, I began to second-guess the rightness of my choice and even wondered about the inspired words that had been uttered just a few months before. Fortunately I followed a common pattern and went to the scriptures and to the Lord, anxiously looking for answers—any answer that might mitigate my vexed state of mind. I was pondering the words in Matthew chapter 28 about the risen lord specifically verse 6 in which the angel says to Mary Magdalene and the other Mary who were in search of the master just as I was on that morning and perhaps you may be today quote he is not here for he is risen as he said close quote the details of what followed are not important here except to say that in my scriptures There is written in the margin a little note that simply says, Special experience. The Lord blessed me that day with a powerful witness of the reality of the Savior. As my personal advocate with the Father, the creator of heaven and earth, and the would be friend of all mankind, today I testify that He lives and that he wants nothing more than to help us perform well on this playing field of life. Yes, the business survived the recession, and happily all the words spoken in my blessing were fulfilled. More importantly, I learned something about the definition of the phrase, in the Lord's own way. Now let's look a bit more closely into the self-doubt scenario we sometimes find ourselves in. That space between our gospel goals and our actual behavior against those goals. Here we see that interesting space between where we may be performing now and where we'd like to be. Let's just call it the mortal shortfall gap. This is where many of us get into trouble, allowing self-doubt to creep in and create a series of performance stress risers and debilitative, non-productive thinking. If we are not careful, we succumb to another of those flaxen cords and start to envision the gap widening to the point that we begin to lose faith. Once again, exactly where the adversary wants us, solitary and doubtful of our own abilities. But lest we find this graph troubling, good news. The Master also knows full well the challenges of mortality— And fortunately, he has both the ability and the predisposition to fill that mortal shortfall gap. Look what happens when we fully accept Christ as our personal Savior, Advocate, Redeemer, filling that gap so completely with hope and understanding and promise that the shortfall becomes narrower and narrower until that eventual perfect day. Actually, the diminishing effect of our shortfall is the emancipating and empowering effect of the Savior's Atonement. For our part, a change in attitude or mighty change of heart toward that gap helps our performance considerably. Listen to what the ancient and articulate Prophet Alma has to say concerning the Atonement. And he will take upon him there, or we could insert here, our, infirmities, that his bowels may be filled with mercy, according to the flesh that he may know according to the flesh how to succor his people according to their infirmities. And in our day, the Savior has spoken to us in the Doctrine and Covenants with these reassuring words, For behold, I, God, have suffered these things for all, that they might not suffer if they would repent. For a moment now, let's revisit that potentially devastating alone feeling, a feeling I suppose has come over all of us at one time or another, whether we were physically isolated or perhaps within a supportive group, but still very much alone in our thoughts. This feeling of abject loneliness is another key tactic used by the adversary to create distance between us and our Savior. The subtlety here is that Satan would have us believe that no one, not even the Master, can, quote, reach me and relate to me on a personal level and feel exactly Uh, how I feel in my terribly unique circumstance. But the Master knows and feels your precise pain and anguish, regardless of its source and intensity. The Savior has vicariously suffered your exact same suffering. Paul's marvelous discourse on this subject in Hebrews offers grace to help in our time of need. May I quote the last few verses from Hebrews chapters 2 and 4? Which have brought peace and solace to my soul over the years when I have felt particularly alone in this world, though surrounded by friends. Hebrews chapter 2 For verily he took not on him the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham. Wherefore, in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself hath suffered, being tempted, he is able to succor them that are tempted. And the last few verses of Hebrews chapter 4. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. I love that invitation. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace. And speaking of grace, I for one believe that when it comes to our own individual progress toward our goals, vector almost certainly trumps velocity. However long it takes, let us not lose our sense of direction. Here is one way to look at the Master's limitless ability to connect with us across the entire spectrum of human emotion. As mortals, we go through life and can experience some pretty low lows and also some pretty high highs. But as we see here, even though the Savior's earthly experience was every bit as real and visceral as our own, The Savior is on a scale that supersedes anything the rest of us can possibly encounter. We simply cannot get outside His ability to relate to us personally and individually. While meaning friends may offer their best approximate sympathy, only the Master offers ultimate and absolute empathy. Though I am a teaching professor and not a scientist per se, I love the way the Lord invites the scientific process. As described by Alma, who just might have been something of a scientist himself, he suggests that we experiment on the word in the crucible of the real world. Alma 32.27 says, But behold, if you will awake and arouse your faculties even to an experiment on my words and execute a particle of faith, yea, even if you can no more than desire to believe, Let that desire work in you. Isn't that the way of the scientist and the researcher? Gather all the empirical evidence, all the data we can, and apply it to a theory or hypothesis? Then create a repeatable, predictable experiment that proves or disproves the theory. The Savior, both in his own recorded words and through the words of all his holy prophets, has invited us to come unto him to experiment for ourselves, the truthfulness of his gospel, and claim the attendant blessings. I appreciate so much the Savior's intercessory prayer in which he gives us all a glimpse of the possible glory inherent in a relationship with him, which is a type of the oneness relationship he has with the Father. May I share a few verses from the 17th chapter of John? First, the Savior to his apostles in verse 11 And now I am no more in the world, but these are in the world. And I come unto thee, Holy Father. Keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are. And then to the rest of us, in verses 20 and 21, he says, Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also, which shall believe on me through their word, that they all may be one, as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. We began this morning with the analogy of leaving it all on the field. How is it possible for us to not only take this earthly field, but come away victorious? May I suggest by eschewing the strategic advances of the adversary, by developing that critical personal And interactive relationship with the Master. May we not be found undervaluing the role of the Master whose arms are outstretched still. We have the opportunity here and now to make him not just a Facebook friend, but a most personal, powerful, and influential advocate. Let us not buy into the adversary's attempts at keeping us away from the everlasting peace and safety. And eventual exaltation available if we but commend our own personal will into his all powerful hands. I testify of the reality of the living Christ, just as the first presidency and 12 apostles have declared in a modern day proclamation, and that as we boldly approach him, our own personal performance becomes our own personal legacy. As we engage with the Master, May we leave it all on the playing field of this life, which is my prayer in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.
0: You've been listening to Finding Center. Join us every weekday for a half hour of inspiration and spiritual focus. Today's theme was the Savior's warmth. Douglas R. McKinley gave his talk entitled The Approachable Master. Speeches on Finding Center are often edited for broadcast. Find links to the full talks and access the rest of our Finding Center episodes on the free BYU radio app, available wherever you get your apps. Finding Center is a production of BYU Broadcasting.